you brought your Bibles, you can look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at some chapters in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> I want to speak to you this morning in a sermon. A child of God is justified and glorified. A child of God is justified and glorified. For the past three Sundays, I've been preaching a series of sermons on the theme, the security and the assurance of salvation as it relates to divine election. And uh, in this series, there are five words that we want to focus. I focused on three. We want to finish up today with the other two. First of all, I shared with you about foreknowledge. Foreknowledge and then predestined, and then called. And today we want to look at justified and glorified. If you would, look at Romans chapter 8, and we'll look at verse 29 through verse 30. God's Word says, For whom he did foreknow, that's the first word we dealt with about four weeks ago. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, second word, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate then them, he also called. We dealt with that word last week. And whom he called, then he glorified. Also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. First word, foreknowledge. Foreknowledge of God. God sees the past, God sees the present, God sees the future. God in time past saw the future. He saw me as an 11-year-old boy being saved at Rockwood Baptist Church. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands, perhaps thousands of years before that actually happened. Foreknowledge of God. He knew that would take place. He's all-knowing past, present, future. Then as he saw me getting saved, he marked out a plan for me. He predestined me. The Bible says he predestined me. He had a plan. I'm a sinner. But he declares me righteous. And so he transfers the righteousness of Jesus Christ to my account and to your account if you're a Christian. That's how you're righteous. So why did God have to transfer the righteousness of Christ to our account? Real simple. Because we have no righteousness of our own. See, we're all total unrighteous. There's not a righteous person here. Really, there's not a good person here. The Bible says there's none good. <laughs> no, not one. There's none righteous. The only way you're righteous today, before God, is Christ's righteousness has been transferred to your account. Now, Christ is total righteousness. We're unrighteous. But notice, we are justified. First, we're forgiven. Secondly, we're declared righteous. How? Freely. We're declared freely. Now, freely, uh, there's a Greek word, dorin, which means uh, gift. The word actually means without reason. Freely, without reason. You are justified freely, Christian. You're justified freely, without reason. Paul says as we as Christians were justified without reason. There's no reason why you should have or I should have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God found no reason in you or in me to give you the righteousness of Christ or to me the righteousness of Christ. There was no basis for that. No reason, no basis in you or in me for declaring us righteous. It was freely. So God must find the cause himself. And it was by his grace that we were declared righteous. Theologian Boyce 
said this. He said, justification expresses the judicial action of God apart from human merit, according to which the guilty are pardoned, acquitted, and reinstated as God's children and as God's fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. So the motivation for God's justification of a guilty sinner is nothing more than just the grace of God. There was no reason in you or in me that he did that. Don't think you're so good. I should never think that I deserve the righteousness of Jesus Christ because it was given to me freely. There was no reason why I should even have it. And if you're a Christian today and you've been, you've been declared righteous, there's no reason on your own. It was a gift, freely. So only grace could declare an unrighteous sinner righteous. Now, perhaps you've heard a, a well-known phrase. I've heard it for years. And it only came up with the author while I was studying for this. But the grace, but for the grace of God, there go I. You ever heard that? Yeah, I have. But for the grace of God, there go I. Now, when you understand about the righteousness of God, that statement, for by the grace of God, but for the grace of God, there go I. That, that statement takes on a new meaning. It gains strength when you understand that the person who first said it was watching a group of criminals march to the gallows. And perhaps John Bradford had Romans 3.24 on his mind when he watched these criminals marching to the gallows and he actually said this, he says, but for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford. A 16th century martyr who literally later after then, few short time, did give his life for the cause of Christ. And so, friend, listen, the grace of God and our salvation was when we cried out in repentance and in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and asked God to forgive us and to come into our life and save us. And God interrupted our death march to hell, pulled us out of line, forgave us of our sins, declared us righteousness by taking the righteousness of his dear son Jesus Christ and adding his righteousness to our account. Had he not done that, you'd still be lost today. I'd still be lost today. He added Jesus Christ's righteousness to our account. And listen, remember this. The, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is the righteousness that mankind needs to be accepted by God. If you don't have the righteousness of God, you will never be accepted by God. And the only way you can have the righteousness of God is to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ that will be declared to your account when you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And when you die without Christ and you stand before God... And he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And I'm not like those hypocrites, and I'm better than those and that person at Mountain View and that person at Mountain View, and I pay my debts, and I don't do drugs, and I don't drink alcohol, and I'm good with my neighbor, and I don't beat my wife, and I don't beat my, my children. Your righteousness are as filthy rags. Mankind needs the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be accepted by God. So God declares the sinner righteous solely on the merits of Christ's righteousness. Here's the point. God imputed means he, he added. God, remember the, the, uh, the uh, business terms. God imputed. God added my sins to Jesus Christ when Christ died on the cross. All the world's sins were placed upon the back of Jesus. He died for the entire world. He imputed 
my sins, your sins, the world's sins. He added those sins to the back of Jesus while he was on that cross. And then God takes his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, and adds it to my account as a believer. He imputes the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ to my account. Look at Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 4. We're staying all in the same area. Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 5. But to him that worketh not. You don't have to obey the law. It's not about perfect obedience to the law anymore. But but him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's not about doing the works of the law. It's not obeying the law. Your faith is counted to your righteousness, for your righteousness. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 9. He says this, Much more then, being now justified by his blood. Remember justified, you're forgiven, that's part of it. But then you're declared righteous. Being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. Being justified, being forgiven, being declared righteous, we shall be saved from the wrath, there again, it's past tense, from the wrath to come. Aren't you glad, I know I am, that I don't have to worry about the wrath to come, the wrath of God to come. I don't have to worry about going through this tribulation. Now, some folks feel different. Some folks believe they're going to go through the tribulation. That's, if you want to go through the tribulation, if you want to believe that, believe that. But I know, based on this scripture and other scriptures, that, that I've been saved from the wrath to come. I've been saved from it. You say, well, Brother Sammy, why do you think you won't go through the tribulation? Well, Jesus Christ, here's why. Jesus Christ bore the full fury of God's wrath in the believing sinner's place on the cross at Golgotha, at Calvary. All of, all of heaven's fury was placed upon Jesus, came upon Jesus. He bore God's wrath for my sin. I don't have to bear any more wrath, folks. It was all bore there. Now, those who refuse Christ, they have wrath to bear. And that'll come. So the point is, what does it mean God has justified us? It means more than just being pardoned. I mean, uh, when you're pardoned, you're still guilty. You just don't, you just don't uh, bear the punishment. If you remember, Richard Nixon confessed to a terrible crime. He was guilty. According to himself, he was guilty, but President Ford pardoned him. So he was set free, but he was still guilty, but he just didn't bear the punishment. To be justified doesn't mean you're pardoned. Pardon means that you're still guilty, but you just don't bear the punishment. So if I was pardoned for my sin, I'd still be guilty. Just not bearing the punishment. Uh, to be justified doesn't mean that I was acquitted. You know, acquitted is, is, uh, is saying that, that you're not guilty when you might be guilty, or you're acquitted because you were, you were never guilty. You were never found guilty. But you see, I was justified. I was justified. I was guilty. I was guilty. And, and God takes this guilty sinner, He takes a guilty sinner... He takes an ungodly uh, man or an ungodly woman or an ungodly boy or an ungodly girl and he forgives them as though they've never sinned. And then he declares them perfect, righteous before himself as he adds to their account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
You see, I'm, I'm a guilty sinner who went to God in mercy, and God gave me grace, and God forgave me totally of my past, and He took the wrath that I deserved Himself on the cross there at Calvary. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the point. God took your sins. If you're a Christian. God took your sins. That you might take his righteousness. That's justification. So to be justified refers to a believer being made right with God. By God. Now. Fourth word. First foreknowledge. Predestined. As called. As justified. Fifth word, I was glorified. You see that? Look at Romans chapter 8 again. Romans chapter 8. All important words. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We're going to read again. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. To do what? To become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. And then whom he called, then he justified. And then whom he justified, he what? He glorified. Real simple, he glorified. So, Romans 8, 30. He glorified. You know what glorified? He glorified means that, that God sees my salvation as if I'm in heaven right now. If you're a Christian, God sees your salvation as if you're in heaven right now. He, he called you, He justified you, and, and then He glorified you. God saw me lost for knowledge. God saw me getting saved for knowledge. God saw me growing in Christ, conforming to the image of His Son. Then God called me. He called me by the preaching of His Word, by the Gospel, by the Holy Spirit of God. Justified me. Declared me righteous. Now He glorifies me. Sees me in heaven. Isn't that good? That is really good. That's really good. My dad died 14 years ago today. And uh, before he died, God could see him in heaven. He could. He's all-knowing. Saw him when he got saved. Saw him prior to getting saved. Predestined. Mapped out and planned uh, out his life where he could be conformed to Christ Jesus. Then called him by the gospel. Saved him. Justified him. Glorified him. And then when he died... He's in heaven. Romans, whole chapter, especially these verses, deal with the eternal security of the believer. Romans 28 through 30. Eternal security is the theme. So the scripture we just read really reveals the unbroken pattern of God's sovereign redemption. There it is. It's a pattern. Verses 28, 29, and 30. That's God's sovereign plan of redemption. For, from God's eternal foreknowledge of a believer's salvation to its ultimate completion and glorification. And final completion is when we arrive there in heaven. You see, every believer who is saved one day will be glorified in heaven. And, and if you're glorified, friend, you'll never be lost. If you've, been, if you've been called and you've been justified and you've been glorified, you're never going to be lost. Well, what if you walk away from God? Well, he goes with you. You know, he says he never will leave you, so he's, he's right along with you. Some of you have walked away from God, but he hasn't left you. You've left him. You're not as faithful as you were. You've left him. He's still, he's still there. But you're just, you're just out in front of him. Making havoc of your life and can't figure out why things are not going right. 
But he has a purpose and a plan for your life to be conformed in his son, Christ Jesus. That's what he wants to bring about in your life. Remember, God is God. You can't get away from God. And God's never going to leave you if you're saved. Romans 8, 28 through 30 is a promise. Now, we, we look at Romans 28, and this we know, and we quote that verse, and this we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We say, yeah, and I've preached that. That's one of my favorite verses. We know that that's a promise, but I'm going to tell you what. Verse 29 and verse 30 goes with the promise. Who he called, he justified. Who he justified, he glorified. Past tense. I'm going to tell you something. It's, it's exciting knowing that you're saved. It must be miserable knowing that you're not. Because it was a time in my life that I knew I wasn't saved. And what's troubling with me today as a pastor is that we, we have... We have what, what I call imitators. And you've got imitators. You've got the imitation and the incarnation. You've got imitators, those imitating Christians. Some see other believers. They try to be like them. You know, they, well, I'm a Christian. You know, and they try to be like them. They're imitators. And they still, you know, they're still in the flesh. You know, they, they still curse. They still get mad. They still get angry. They're still mean to their spouse. They're still, you know, they're just imitating a believer. But I'm going to tell you something. If you truly come to Christ, he'll incarnate you. He comes to live inside of you. And then he lives through you. You don't have to imitate anybody anymore. You just be yourself, and Christ will live through you. You'll be the real thing. You'll be able to live his life. Or he'll be able, I should say, live his life through you. Now, what's the difference, real quick, what's the difference between security of the believer and the assurance of the believer? Well, the security of the believer is when the Holy Spirit reveals for a fact that salvation is forever. That's the security of the believer. The assurance of the believer is one's confidence that one possesses eternal life. Security is the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, hey, this is forever. I mean, this is forever. Salvation is forever. That's why we call it eternal life. Duh. You know, everlasting life is forever. And when that dawns on you, then that's the security of the believer. You, you believe that. Then the assurance of believer is the confidence that you have that you possess eternal life. That's your assurance. And there's a song I listen to almost every morning. One of my favorites. Goes like this. I'll just read the words for your protection. Now, I may break out. I don't know. I may disrupt the service. I can't tell you. Today I went back to a place where I used to go. Today I saw the same old crowd I knew before. When they asked me what happened, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, Things are different than before. As the tears ran down my face, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. I'm going to tell you something. When you go to Calvary, it'll make a difference in your life. This morning, have you been to Calvary? Are you just an imitator? Or do you have the incarnation within you? living in you, living through you. Has your life been changed? One way you know you're a Christian, you're not the same. 
Brother Sammy, you believe in the sovereignty of God? I sure do. You believe in the free will of man? I sure do. Do you believe that, that uh, God can, can, can come to man? Yes. You believe that God can speak to man? Yes. You believe man's called by God? Yes. Do you believe God is the only one that can justify man? Yes. Do you believe that God glorifies every Christian? Yes, I do. God calls. He uses the gospel to call a sinner to repentance. And when that sinner accepts Christ, then that sinner discovers that he is the elect. He's the elect. You know, I was thinking, I heard the illustration a long time ago, and this morning when, when we made the time change, I thought of it. And a uh, man was trying to explain to his little boy uh, about, about what salvation's like, about accepting salvation, rejecting salvation. He wanted to do it in a simple way, so he used an alarm clock. And he told the little boy, he says, well, you see, we're... We're dead in sin. We're asleep. We're asleep. And then all of a sudden, the gospel's preached. And the alarm goes off. God, God's waking us up. Takes the gospel, wakes us up. And we hear it. We hear that alarm go off. And then we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision. Where are we going to get up? And then we make a decision to get up and our, our muscles start strengthening and our joints start to move in and, and that, that's God's grace. It really is. But just some, after the alarm goes off and after they're awakened by God through the gospel, they reach over and they, they hit that snooze button on a little more time. And then it goes off in two minutes and they'll hit it again. Two more minutes and they'll hit it again. Two more minutes, they'll hit it again. And then it won't go off anymore. Then all of a sudden they wake up in a panic. You ever done that? <laughs> you ever hit the snooze so many times and then it dawns on you, man, and you panic and you jump up. Spiritually speaking, are you, have you hit the snooze button? Hey, are you on snooze right now? And God's waking you to the gospel? And you're depending on your own righteousness? And God says the only way you can be justified is through my forgiveness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you've hit that snooze button? I'm going to tell you what, friend. Be careful. Because if you're not careful, if you don't respond to the gospel today as he calls you, one day, one day,
Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website. Thank you, and may God bless you.